We all want to be wise investors, right? Last week, I spent some time with the financial planner, and in preparation, I had to bring him all of our retirement accounts to show to him so that he could work with us to invest them rightly so that we can look forward to retirement one day. Now, I have to be honest with you, I am not gifted to discern what to invest in, but I am grateful for people who know how to do this and who can give sound advice for multiplying our investments. But what I do know to be certain is that I want to be wise in what I invest in. Investing in stocks and funds that provide a good return rather than losing my hard-earned money and seeing it go down the drain. And I am sure that all of you feel the very same way that I do about your own investments. But I find that being a wise investor is not just about our financial future. It also includes investing our time and even our talents. For instance, if I invest a good portion of my time in remodeling my home, I expect to see progress made, well, at least steadily over time, because I want to see the end result, the goal of seeing that remodel completed. Anything less than that is a waste of my time and probably my resources too. If I invest my talent of playing the piano and I go and get classically trained piano lessons, I want to make sure that over time I am able to start playing pieces like Beethoven and Mozart and Bach, not just children's songs like Three Blind Mice. We want to be wise investors so that we have something to show for what we've invested in. And when we do, it leads us to a sense of fulfillment and not emptiness. Honestly, I believe that Jesus wants us to be wise investors too. In fact, our scripture today from Matthew's gospel gives us insight into um, Jesus' challenge to a rich young man. And I believe that Jesus challenges each and every one of us as well. It begins with Jesus being approached by a fairly wealthy young man. Clearly this man had done well for himself. He had invested his money wisely, surmising great wealth at such a young age. In fact, if we read the Greek, we understand that this fellow was probably between the ages of 21 and 28. We would understand him to be a young professional. But despite this man's success, he comes seeking more than just wealth. He asked Jesus this, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He knows that his wealth cannot buy his salvation. And so he seeks answers from Jesus, hoping to be steered in the right direction. And Jesus is always willing to give clarity when it comes to seeking God's righteousness and will in our lives. And so he instructs him by saying, If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus directs him back to the goodness of God who gave the Israelites his law as a guide to live in righteousness. And the young man presses him further, asking him specifically which commandments He's speaking about. And so Jesus responds with a portion of the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationships with one another. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tacks on the Levitical command to love neighbor as oneself as an all-encompassing command that fulfills every law to treat others the way God intends for us to. In hearing this, the man responds that he's kept all of these commands, but it appears that he still has a sense of emptiness inside of him because he asks Jesus this, What do I still lack? I think that he's fully aware that he can have the wonderful things of the world and still lack what's necessary for eternal life. Certainly, he's seen his blessings as a gift from God, which was understood as a sign of being faithful to following God's commands, and there's no reason for us to doubt that he has been unfaithful in his following God. But Jesus then presses him further by saying this, If you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Once again, Jesus focuses his attention on social relationships between those who have and those who have not. Has this man been as faithful as he thinks he's been when it comes to following God's commands to care for the poor and the orphan and the widow? Proverbs 25, 14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. All of the commands Jesus shares with him are within reach for all who affirm faithfulness to God. But the last one, loving your neighbor as yourself, just might be the one that Jesus is questioning him most about. Has this man affirmed his care of neighbors, as it relates to giving to their needs? Is he bending the truth a little bit here, or is Jesus just trying to get him to understand that while he's been faithful to follow the commands that he has mentioned, that he has rejected the ones that have to do with following God? Has Jesus just set him up to reflect on the fact that he's put other gods before him? Or maybe he maybe even made an idol out of his wealth. Jesus answers his question by challenging him to get rid of his security blanket. He challenges him to be perfect. Now, all of us know that there's no way that we can be perfect. We can't obtain perfection in this life. So is Jesus asking the impossible of him? No. For Jesus says earlier in Matthew's gospel, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, he says this, in relation to loving one's enemies, and not just those who love you, but Jesus is acknowledging that God models perfection, which is shown in unlimited love and in complete obedience. His words to the rich man aren't about being sinless. He is challenging him to an undivided obedience to God, which is the ultimate goal of our lives. And this perfection is reaching maturity in our faith by following God in everything that we do. It's not allowing wealth to become a stumbling block, which can prevent this man from trusting and following God completely. You see, I find that Jesus is giving free investment advice. 
he is challenging this man to transfer his investments from a money market account into a kingdom of heaven account that promises to pay huge dividends. He tells him to sell all of his possessions and to give it to the poor, and then that he will have treasure in heaven. Proverbs 11.24 says it this way, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. This is a great paradox, is it not? If you give away what you have, you will gain even more than what you had. But if you refuse to give anything, you will ultimately lose what you have. I find this to be very consistent with Jesus' message of discipleship to his own disciples. He tells his disciples, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so we find this great paradox at work, striving to hold on to the things that are here on this earth. They do not ultimately give us life. Jesus commands us to invest in things that make a difference in the lives of others. And so he tells us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jim Stavall's best-selling novel, The Ultimate Gift, was made into a movie in 2006, and the story is about a young, rich man named Jason Stevens who lives a life of wealth and privilege because of his wealthy grandfather, Red Stevens. And when his grandfather dies, Jason and his whole family, they expect to get a huge inheritance, to inherit all of his wealth that he has received, but the rest of the family receives absolutely nothing. Jason, however is the only one who has a chance to inherit $100 million. Now, his grandfather leaves behind a series of videos to speak directly to him, hoping to salvage the good that he's seen within his life. But rather than simply giving him a check for $100 million, he requires Jason to participate in a journey of self-discovery and of reflection, working his way through a series of 12 gifts, which leads him to the ultimate gift. If Jason breaks any of the rules or refuses to do what's required of him, his inheritance will be lost with it. And so one by one, he works towards completing these gifts, checking all the boxes in order to get his inheritance. And along the way, he meets Alexia and her daughter Emily. Now, he coerces them to be his friends because this is one of the challenges that he has is to have true friendship. And in doing so, he is able to check another box to complete another gift. But what happens from this is that he develops a real friendship with both of them. Now, Emily is suffering from leukemia, and her mother is a single parent trying to care uh, for her child and to deal with her medical needs while struggling to earn a living. His relationship with Alexia and with Emily sparks change within him, moving him from selfishness towards maturity and compassion. 
And he eventually completes all the series of gifts and is awarded $100 million to do with whatever he wanted to do. But rather than spending the money on himself, he decides to use every penny of it to establish a hospital for children who have terminal illnesses. And he names it Emily's Home with the dream of providing free care to families who are struggling with their children's illness. But before the hospital is completed, Emily dies from her bout with leukemia, leaving Jason and Alexia heartbroken. Yet her love and her legacy will live on through his ultimate gift of giving his wealth to help others. And as the movie nears a close, Jason is asked to meet his grandfather's attorney for one last meeting. I invite you to take a look at what happens next. For he had one final message. Jason? Yeah. You gave away the hundred million? All of it? Yes, yeah, so what? Well, if you're standing here now, it means that not only have you succeeded in receiving all of my gifts, but have done so beyond the boundaries that I have set. I guess that means that I have succeeded as well. What I could not accomplish in life, I've done in death. As long as you are still alive, I will be too. I love you, son. I love you, too. Goodbye, Jason. As executor of the estate of Red Stevens, I hereby execute and otherwise assign complete and controlling interest to Jason Stevens. The balance of Red's estate, including all holdings, investment portfolio, and offshore interests, totaling in excess of $2 billion depending on OPEC prices and foreign currency fluctuations, of course. Wow. Jason's decision to give away everything to bless others resulted in his grandfather awarding him with the keys to his whole estate valued at over $2 
billion dollars. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty, says the proverb. Jason refuses to store up things on earth where moth and rust destroy. Instead, he chooses to give freely to bless others, investing his wealth into the kingdom account. And his willingness to give it all away blessed him with even more. You see, I believe that Jesus is speaking the same language, but let me be clear. I don't think he's going to give you $2 billion if you give it all away. I believe instead that he's calling each and every one of us, just like this rich young man, to experience the ultimate gift. The ultimate gift is Jesus. The ultimate gift is the kingdom of heaven. And the ultimate gift is the realization that there's nothing more important than our relationship with God and God's call in our lives to live in ways that promote his love and righteousness in this sinful and broken world. And today, Jesus challenges us, just like this young man. What is the one thing that we lack? Money may not be a challenge for us. It may be easy for us to give our money to support God's work in the world. But maybe, maybe we struggle more to give up our time to contribute to the needs of others. Maybe we need to invest time the hospitality house, Rams Rack, Farm Cafe, and some of our local organizations whose focus is on the needs of the least of these. Maybe we struggle more with using our spiritual gifts to build up the church and to share in the mission of fulfilling Christ's call to share the good news of the gospel. So maybe we need to serve on a committee of the church or to engage in God's work together by using our gifts to support the ongoing mission and work of the church through various projects that we participate in. Jesus challenges us to be perfect, not sinless, but people who allow nothing to divide our loyalty and obedience to serve God and God's people. And as children of God, he calls us with a purpose and with a mission, not simply to live life day by day for the betterment of ourselves, but living to share the ultimate gift with others. Matthew tells us, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, it's easy to read this and to assume that this man was unwilling to part ways with his wealth. And it's quite possible that this is exactly what happened. And if so, he did not trust Jesus' investment advice. And if if this is the case, he chose worldly wealth at the expense of still feeling empty and being spiritually poor. But Matthew doesn't say that he refused to listen. Maybe he was sad because he knew that selling everything and following Jesus would upend his status, his wealth, and his power. Maybe, knew, maybe he knew that in doing so, it was going to radically change his life as he knew it. But maybe... Just maybe he took Jesus' words to heart and did exactly what Jesus instructed him to do. And if so, not only did he come seeking the answer of eternal life, he found it in Jesus, which allowed him to gain far more than he ever could have received 
the ultimate gift. Today, we come forward to present our pledges to God, promises of our time, our talents, and of our treasures. And as we do so, may we trust Jesus' invitation to be wise investors, to transfer from our money market account into the kingdom of heaven account, seeking treasures in heaven that are worth so much more than any treasure here on earth. And in doing so, we will find fulfillment and joy, not emptiness nor sadness. And may we be faithful in following with the pledges that we make, so that we aren't like clouds and wind without rain, refusing to give in ways that offer life, the abundant life that Jesus has called us into. No, together, may our lives reflect the goodness of God who leads us by His commands to live lives of righteousness that give glory and honor to His name and leave us fulfilled knowing that we Two have been wise investors. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.